love is stronger than hate. Or love will conquer all. I've certainly heard uh, and read a lot of those types of things in the church world. Honestly, though, I've been pretty skeptical about the truth of those ideas. Actually, hate seems pretty strong at times. And vengeance, violence. And looking over the course of the history of the world, I'd say greed and fear have conquered a lot over the centuries. It can seem actually pretty foolish to believe that love has power. Consequently, I have often really struggled with the implications of a story like the one that we have this morning about Jesus. In this story, Jesus not only lets himself be cruelly, cruelly executed under bogus charges, in addition, while he is suffering on the cross, he prays forgiveness for those who are killing him. Earlier in Luke's telling of the gospel of Jesus' life, Luke recorded a time when Jesus himself had taught his followers, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And here he is actually doing it. Daryl Bach writes, Jesus has fulfilled an ethical standard he himself set to pray for one's enemies. Jesus evidences his love and compassion here and models his own instructions on discipleship. And it's that last part that is difficult for me to hear. Bach alludes to the problem I have with this, that this is a model for our own discipleship. This is what Jesus has taught his disciples. If you're going to follow me, this is what I want you to do. Pray for those who mistreat you. So on the cross, he prays. He does that. By letting himself be killed on the cross, Jesus renounces the way of violence and revenge and leads us in a way of sacrifice and forgiveness. Up until this week, really, up until this week, my reflexive response to Jesus' teaching on these things has been to qualify them. So I would hear, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And I would immediately jump to, yeah, but what does it mean to love your enemy? Maybe the most loving thing to do is to fight back. Or pray what? Pray that they burn in hell for what they've done? That's a prayer. That desire to qualify Jesus' teaching comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of how God is going to change our world. 
In my heart, I think I have always believed that God had to punish someone or they wouldn't change. I think I believed that there had to be some sort of cosmic balance in the world, in in the universe, eye for an eye. And honestly, I admit and I hate to admit this, but deep down, I felt like God needed shed blood in order to forgive. Particularly because of the early education that I received as a Christian, um, ultimately, I felt like everything did balance out. There was this balancing of an eye for an eye because of the punishment I felt Jesus received dying on the cross. That this was the punishment for the entire world that Jesus was absorbing, that Jesus' crucifixion satisfied this need for shed blood. And let me say, there are a lot of reasons that these ideas are taught. And there is a lot of scripture a lot of scripture that seems to support this line of reasoning. But I also now believe that those ideas and that interpretation of scripture is wrong. Now, this morning and this particular sermon are not the time or the means to go into all of the reasons why I feel differently about that and really honestly just finally came to believe it this week. But look again just at the one example that I gave from Isaiah. God tells us that God doesn't care a bit about blood being shed in sacrifices. In fact, God says it can be kind of repulsive. Verses 11 through 15. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings or rams and fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable, new moon, Sabbath convocations. I can't bear your evil assemblies. My soul hates these things. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. I will not listen, God says, because your hands are, because your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. That is a powerful condemnation of the whole idea of blood sacrifice being pleasing to God. It's not. What matters to God is our heart following God in love. That's why Isaiah goes on, Make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. 
seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, please plead the case of the widow. Come, let us reason together, though your sins are like scarlet, bloody, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, if your heart is in the right place, then things will go well. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. God is denouncing the whole concept of violence and bloody punishment in favor of loving reconciliation. And then we have Jesus here on the cross. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, you better enjoy yourselves now because you're going to be burning in hell later. Jesus doesn't say, okay, God, while he's up on the cross, okay, now, and then all of a sudden lightning bolts come from the sky and murder everybody around him. And then he gets, you know, let off the, the, the cross and they make a Marvel comic movie out of him. He doesn't do any of that. What he says is, God forgive them. And don't get hung up on this, they know not what they do. Even when we know what we do, Jesus says, God forgive them. Daryl Bach, again, writes about this. The cross is, at its heart, the offer of God's graciousness in forgiveness. And Tom Wright adds, forgiveness brings the life of heaven to earth. It brings God's future into the present. This is the way that God is going to change the world. If Jesus was being punished as the price for human sin, there wouldn't be a need for forgiveness. If the price is paid, there's nothing to forgive. But this is the absolute absurdity of how much God loves us. We are forgiven everything. Even for the absolute worst we did as human beings, killing our own Lord and Savior, Jesus. By allowing himself, allowing himself to be killed on the cross, Jesus renounced the way of violence and revenge and leads us in the way of sacrifice and forgiveness. Ultimately, the desire of God is not to make sure everyone pays for everything they've ever done. God's desire is that our relationships be restored with God and with one another. And violence and revenge will never do that. Hurt inflicted for hurt will at most provide a momentary rush of relief for the pain of loss. But more than often, 
It simply leads to more violence and revenge and a continuing pattern. Forgiveness, at the very least, opens the way for restoration for all involved. As one example of this, from this book, Executing God, Rethinking Everything You've Been Taught About Salvation and the Cross, uh, by Sharon Baker, uh, one of the best theologians alive, I believe, um, one of the, the most remarkable theologians that I've read. Both this book and another one on hell are have really been significant in changing my whole understanding. And I, like I said, I've heard all of this stuff for 30 years. And I've read this book and her other book twice. And it was just this week that I really started to believe all of this stuff is true. That it's about forgiveness. And the power of forgiveness to end violence and provide a different way. So as one example of this from this book, she writes about a man named Daryl. Daryl arrived home and found that someone had broken into his house. The thieves stole expensive pieces of equipment and damaged family heirlooms. The authorities caught the culprits shortly after the crime, discovering that they were mere boys who had burglarized other homes in the neighborhood as well. Instead of demanding retribution, Daryl went and talked to the boys, expressing his sorrow and his forgiveness. Recognizing their remorse, he invited them to a neighborhood dinner at his home so they could meet the community they had terrorized with their crime spree. He bought the food and the boys cooked it and personally delivered invitations to the neighbors. At one point, Daryl gave one of the boys money to buy party supplies. But after getting the supplies from home, the boy returned the money to Daryl. The neighborhood now holds yearly block parties. Rejoicing in the restoration of relationships within the community, Daryl writes, We can do something other than buying bigger fences and bigger locks. Hatred cannot be met with hatred. It has to be met with love. If Daryl had set his heart on retribution, restoration might not have taken place in that neighborhood. Justice born from love restores. Justice born from hatred breeds and seeks retribution. There are other stories like that in here that are more intense. Uh, There's a fascinating website, British uh, website, called The Forgiveness Project, which has uh, dozens of stories, and it's a secular group, um, and it deals with questions. But what about this type of thing? The Forgiveness Project is, is... fascinating to follow up on. This power of forgiveness to restore. But it is not always easy. And that's part of the reason why I included that story about Stephen. Sometimes it doesn't change people's hearts. Or we never see that. Stephen, in the midst of being stoned to death because of what he had experienced in Jesus is able to say himself, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. But he still loses his life. He's still killed. 
it is not an easy path. And one thing that always has to be said in the context of a church when talking about forgiveness and reconciliation is this is not meant for people to stay in abusive relationships. That is absolutely antithetical to what God has for anyone. That is not what forgiveness is all about. No one should stay in an abusive relationship. But as followers of Christ, we're not given the choice to add to that with our own violence and revenge. Jesus leads us in a way of nonviolence and forgiveness. And rather than that being the way of weakness and capitulation, it is actually a way of strength and restoration. By letting himself, by letting himself be killed on the cross, Jesus ended the way of retribution and death, certainly in the name of God, and opened the way of restoration and life. Since it's National Poetry Month, I'm going to end this with a poem from the British poet Malcolm Geit. He writes, See as they strip the robe from off his back and spread his arms and nail them to the cross. The dark nails pierce him and the sky turns black and love is firmly fastened onto loss. But here a pure change happens. On this tree, loss becomes gain. Death opens into birth. Here, wounding heals and fastening makes free. Earth breathes in heaven. Heaven roots in earth. And here we see the length, the breadth, the height, where love and hatred meet and love stays true. Where sin meets grace and darkness turns to light. We see what love can bear and be and do. And here, our Savior calls us to his side. His love is free. His arms are open wide. Thanks be to God.